Ain't no more hiding. You can't hide no more, Derek. Hi. We'll find out who the best hey, man, man listen. Is. Only thing been hiding is those big man. I respect you for what you've done in the game. Cheeto. But you ain't never went up against me or my listen, team. Listen, that's the only thing been hiding. Now, you remember something. What? Tell me what I got remember. We've been here before. So you say you're trying to get no, there. No, 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 no. You All right. Wait, wait, wait. wait. I can you, tell you wait, how wait, it is to be on Wait, wait, wait. Are you can tell you me. You can't tell me shit. Listen, you the only. Sit back and watch this. Wait, is Jamel Tolo on Sit back and watch this. Listen, man, they gotta make a new way for you. Have super heavy weight. What the fuck you talking about? You know, all, this, all that doing. shit you talking, all that shit you talking don't mean nothing. It don't mean nothing. I can, I can bump my guns at you. You can bump your guns right, at me. But, but at bump, the end of the day, them two brothers gotta get in the ring. That's right. All right, then. So shut the fuck up. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. This yes, is gonna be one heck of a fight. Yes, ma'am. I will. Now, let's get to the fighter. Look Hi, and welcome back to the number one podcast in the sport where I was horribly wrong about the Fulton Inoue fight. God, I had a shocker. Really did have a shocker. Um, how do you even summarize that? I thought Fulton would be able to show more of his talents than he did, and I underestimated Inoue. Now, I know all the hardcores will go, well, I knew from the start. And so if you're correct, and you understood why, well done, mate. I'm not going to be here making excuses or dancing around. Sometimes you get them right, sometimes you get them wrong. What we did get, though, and I think I said it in the episode, was an unexpectedly brilliant moment in 2023 from a boxing perspective. So we got to crown Inoue as maybe this generation's Pacquiao because... You saw that fight and you suddenly realized he's going to be incredibly hard to beat. And so I've spent the last day or so trying to, trying to understand what is it about Inoue that makes him a nightmare. And I, I put it down to there are probably three elements that he's elite at. Element one is he never lets his feet get stuck. Never lets his feet get stuck. Every every time you see him positioned a certain way, it's intentional. Um, I think I make reference to if if AI was involved in boxing, it would look a bit like a new way. And that's what I meant by that. Rarely, if ever, in the wrong position. And the second thing is he's almost like a human missile when he throws his shots because he fully commits to the punch. And you can see the weight shift in the punch. So it's not just an arm punch, which actually, if you go through Fulton's career now in reflection, a lot of what he does is arm punching. And it looks good for the camera, but he's not committing his full body to it. And Inoue does. When he jabs to the body, he throws his whole mass behind that shot. When he throws that left hook, everything comes with him. When he throws that right hand, everything comes with him. And there's also that little bit of magic he does with his hips where the torque is so fast and so violent. You don't see it. And I, I talk about this a lot when I coach. Too many times people box from the hands down. And what I mean by that is they're, they're more worried about the punches they're throwing without necessarily worrying about generating force. Boxing's two things. It is a manipulation of space and it's a generation of force. Hit and don't get hit. I think I've added to that. But it's okay. So that's where you kind of kind of land in this one, right? You're, you're looking at it saying, wow, 
The guy is phenomenal. And he, he also has that third thing where his basics don't collapse under pressure. Um, I'm so many episodes in that I'm probably a broken record at this point. Because I say time and time and time and time and one more time again. It is about what you can do against someone who is just as good as you, if not better. You know, we can all do the 100 punch combinations on the mitts. And, it, you know, you see this all the time on Instagram. Every coach is ta da 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 and then that really smug face, like like you know, like a a sommelier's, fa- you know, the, that expression a sommelier has when when they smell a good palate on a glass of wine. The real smug look when they do it, like look look at what I'm doing, look at me, look at me. No one really cares. It's it, it's it's a circus act, right? It's a circus act because when you fight someone just as good as you, you can't do that. When you fight someone just as good as you, you really tops have a jab a backhand and a left hook and it's about who can maintain their level under the most extreme pressure in new way stuck so hard to his basics look at the look at the combination that ended the fight well didn't end it ended but effectively the fight was over at this point he shot a jab to the body just stood up and went oh you're still here crack A three-fight novice is doing that. But a three-fight novice can't do that against Stephen Fulton. A three-fight novice can't create round after round of psychological stress to the point where Fulton doesn't want to move anymore. And then detonate that shot. But also know that you landed that well that you need to follow up, which he did. Uh, you can't fault him. Inoue can box he can dog it out with you and when he's got you going he can finish you that's a special special fighter and the way that he he stopped Fulton bear in mind this is the guy that went round after round with Brandon Figueroa who's no slouch in his own right you now wonder if Inoue unifies does he move up to 126 and if so, can he do some more damage there? I'm at the point where I'm not averse to seeing, and I think Steven Espinosa talked about this, I'm not averse to seeing Tank versus Inoue at 130, or Loma versus Inoue at 130. You know, there's a sort of bonkers matchup, so you're like, why not? I don't want to see Shakur or any of the other sort of taller guys. I want someone in there that can, you know, duke it out with him. Because what I, what I saw was incredible, because I was watching the fight, and I'm sort of just go through the fight quickly and as I'm watching this fight I'm like Fulton's he's not he's not being outclassed but he's being beaten here but that doesn't mean that he's miles off he wasn't miles off for ages and ages and ages and I'm expecting that this is part of a plan you know you've had enough time for this this has to be part of a plan and the plan has to be we're going to see if Inoue gets tired or we're going to frustrate him right he can't land the shots he wants he's going to get frustrated and start boxing outside of his competence and then we can start to pick him off never happened Nui didn't deviate from his script not one drop didn't deviate from who he was like that's impressive and so you saw Fulton and look he's come out in public and he said he wasn't his normal self that's true 
But until he can be honest with the public about why he wasn't, it, it feels a bit empty. Maybe Inoue just made it impossible for him to do that. And there's no shame in that. I've said this, right? Stephen Fulton said, look, I've had a good run at 122. Let me test myself against the guy that they say is one of the best in the world. That's exactly what we want every boxer to do. That's what we've been begging Fury to do. That's what we've been begging Joshua to do. That's what we've been begging everybody to do. To step in the ring and risk getting your ass handed to you. I don't think it makes Fulton any less of a boxer. I do wonder for him, as a, you know, as a fan, I go, what happens when you're in the ring and you realize there's a level in this game that is above where you're at? And you thought you were that level. And someone's just said, no, there's a level above you. How do you reconcile that mentally? Part of me is almost saying Stephen Fulton should just give Greg Hackett a call. Stop messing around and say, I need someone like Greg in my team. I need someone who's going to bring out the dog in me. Someone who's going to let me stand in the pocket with an Inoue and pick him off cleanly. You know, because Fulton's asking for a rematch. I don't think that sort of fight warranted a rematch simply because he didn't put a dent in Inoue. Had he got knocked out, like just swinging on him and doing some damage, some cuts or whatever, I'd have got it, yeah, let's have a rematch. That was fun, it was entertaining. You almost feel if they fight ten times, it goes the same way ten times, based on what we saw. So Inoue has the world at his, always, uh, the world at his feet. In his position, why not get all four belts, move up to 126. 126... From a UK perspective, we're going to talk about um, Lopez, obviously, because of what he did to Conlon. We're going to talk about Mauricio Lara. We're going to talk about Lee Wood. We're going to talk about those sorts of guys, aren't we? In terms of you know, fights that we'd like to see as fans. But now that he's done... If he, if he unifies 122, he may as well just jump into freak fights. At that point, he can just cash out. Whatever money he can make, he deserves. He owes us nothing if he unifies at 122. Beyond that, he owes us absolutely nothing. Like Canelo. For me, Canelo owes us nothing as fans. He's given us enough. He's had his hard fights, so he can cash out now. I'm okay with that. Um, as for Fulton, what do you do if you're Stephen Fulton? Ah... Uh, I'm Brandon Figueroa. I'm asking for the rematch. I think Fulton needs a fight where he can work on some things. And one of the things he's got to work on is really ripping through some of those shots. Um, one of the things that occurred to me was we become blinded to things in boxing because of what we are programmed to believe. So let's let's look at Philly. Right? Really in recent memory, Philly's given us B-Hop and Boots Ennis, right? Like, really, like, guys where we're talking, you might be, you know, first ballot Hall of Famer. Uh, B-Hop is. Jordan Ennis is showing that potential to be that. And I think sometimes those perceptions cascade all the way down. So, we're like, yeah, Fulton's from Philadelphia. I blame guys like Adam Smith for this, by the way. Yeah, he's from Philadelphia. He must be incredible. He must be tough. And we all fall for it. I fell for it. Maybe they're not. Maybe Fulton isn't. Maybe if you put Fulton in with someone like an Isaac Dogbo, the same thing would happen. I don't know. But I do know that sometimes, you know, our perceptions distort our reality. And I'm definitely guilty of that in this fight. I'm happy that we got a spectacle. I'm happy that we got a moment 
that punctuated the week. I'm I'm happy that as a boxing fan, we gave we we had something midweek that gave us a lift heading into what for for me is the biggest fight of the year. Don't care what the heavyweights do. This is the biggest fight of the year because I don't even think you can call this one. You can go one way on it and you can go another way on it, but it's so hard to call. There are so many what ifs. That's what you pay pay-per-view prices for. Those what ifs. What if this? What if that? What if this happens? What if he does that? If you're not excited by this fight, if you're not buzzing, if you're not sharing, if you're not telling your friends, your work colleagues, if it's not in the Microsoft Teams chat, that Saturday night everyone used to watch it. If you miss it, watch it on Sunday morning. Because this is when we need to put our sport on a pedestal and say, this is what the sport is all about. You know, when I look at this Spence versus Crawford fight, it gives me a feel of kind of what it would be like to, to have Joshua versus Wilder, right? Just in terms of sort of positioning. So if you look at Joshua versus Wilder, you've essentially got kind of AJ, who's a bit more out there, uh, a bit more visible, Looks like he's enjoying life a bit more. These are just perceptions, right? It may not be reality. Yeah. So you've got him, and that's Anthony Joshua, and he's more of a, a character in that sense. He he plays a media game better. And then you've got Deontay Wilder. Um, for all of his sins, a staunch family man. Um, you know, you generally see him around his family. Doesn't tend to have a horizon much beyond Alabama, which. It's neither good nor bad, it's just the thing. And then when you look at them in the ring, you've got Wilder who lays waste to anything he touches. Yeah. Not the biggest, but stronger than he looks, clearly. Tougher than he looks, braver than he looks. But when he's got you going, that's the end. One of the nastiest finishes out there. And then you've got Anthony Joshua on the other side, who's all clubbing blows, um, great physique, looks big as a house, all that sort of stuff, but you can't remember the last time he laid waste to someone. And I feel that's the same with Spence. Like, And in Spence's defense, he's kind of had a murderer's row of opponents, but he hasn't really lain anyone to waste where you're like, oh my word, that is insane power that he's got. But we've seen Crawford do that to people, detonate on them. And we can, you know, moan about the quality of opposition. But he did things to opponents that others struggled to do. That's what he was able to do. So I see those parallels in that, you know, you've got two, two contrasting styles, characters, personalities, um, public images. And that's always interesting for me when it comes to the fight. Because when it comes to the fight, all of that goes out the window. And it's literally about who can do what on the night. And so when I look at Errol Spence, and I look at what Spence is good at, um, he's good at being the brute. Like, and I maintain his best performance was like Hellbrook performance. I, and I'll have this debate all day if I have to. Spence was inexperienced going up against Kelbrook. Whatever you want to say about him. He was, yes, he was 27, but... You go to Bramwell Lane, a sold-out Bramwell Lane, that probably held about 40,000 people on the night, maybe more. And it was sold out. 
Um, you've got Kell Brook, and let's be clear, um, if we're going <laughs> to be nerdy, Kell Brook probably has the greatest ring entrance in British boxing history. It's between him and David Hayes, uh, McFadden and Whitehead ain't no stopping us now. I think Kells is a bit more universal and a bit more accessible. And I've enjoyed it. I do. I think Kell Brook's entrances almost define the matchroom aesthetic when it comes to organising shows. It's the that Kell Brook entrance is like their showpiece. That the Joshua one changes all the time. But Kell Brook, pretty consistent, pretty minimal, and it's brilliant. Spence has to cope with that, being in hostile territory, relatively inexperienced. Um, he's dealing with, you know, the pressure, your first title fight. And you're in there with a guy who, I maintain this, had he not had that Golovkin fight, would have been even more of a menace. And you're dealing with someone in Kell Brook who's got the speed advantage, the timing advantage, experience, home crowd Everything. He's got everything in his favor. And you were able, and I don't care what the judges' scorecard said for a change, um, it was never 97 93 to, to Errol Spence. No way in hell. Those scorecards were disgusting. Anyone that gave Kelbrook less than five rounds of that fight is an absolute disgrace. And you had. Errol Spence have to dog his way up because he was taking punishment from Kell Brook. If Kell had better punch technique, he might do more damage, but Spence is still taking a lot of punishment and he walked through hell to break Kell Brook down. He walked through hell, lip bleeding, lumps all over him, everything. And he showed that he's got that warrior's heart. Now, you can break down the technical things Spence does. I think his jab is slow, but it seems to land all the time. When he gets it going, it seems to land. His ability to throw that right jab and shovel a left kind of hook, come uppercut into the body, uncanny. Always seems to find that space just behind an elbow. And he'll just shovel it in, step in, shove you off with his right hand, nice little left hook over the top. He knows, he knows his formula. And he just puts himself in position to execute it. He, just from any position, he lets his hands go. Like, that's a real impressive skill when you've got that level of body alignment and harmony and awareness that you can do that. You're a dangerous foe because there were times where he was catching Kel and he's done it to Porter and he's done it to, he's done it to everyone. He did it to Garcia. Where you think... He's in a position where he should, he should just take a, you know, take a step back, retreat, and he'll just let a shot go. And you see the opponent caught by surprise, and you're like, wow, this guy's impressive. Let's also talk about Spencer's chin. He's been in there with everybody. Everybody. And at the elite level, he's never been dropped, I don't think. If I'm wrong on that, sorry, but I don't think he's been dropped. You rarely see him hurt. You, you've never seen him really wobbled. He's, he's as hard as they come. There's no question about that. He's, he's a quintessential welterweight. Like he's the template of a modern welterweight right now. Big, strong, physical, 
can do the 12 rounds, will grind you down if he has to, has one of the best body attacks in boxing. It's horrible. Imagine being in the ring with him. It must be pretty savage. And you saw that where he beat the resistance out of Kell Brook. There just came a point in about round seven, round eight, where Kell was like, oh, this is savage. You know, yeah, you can put it down to, to the eye socket. I don't think we should ignore that. But that body work was massively under, under, underappreciated by the commentary team when he fought. And so Spence has all of these things, like great combinations. When he lets his hands go, he's wonderful punch placement and combinations, knows when to go over the top, knows when to come under. So you never really know what's coming next. And he was doing this against the guy in Kell Brook, who reads the fight better than probably anyone that's come out of this country in the last 20 years. His ability to just read a fight and know this is what's coming. Here's how I can deal with that. Here's how I counter that. Very, very impressive by Kelbrook. I'm, I'm of the view that no one has taken on the level of challenge he did in that short space of time. So if you think about the people he fought, Triple G, Spence, Crawford, um, you could even whack Khan in there for name brand value if you wanted. Sean Porter. They're all names that will be on a Hall of Fame ballot. Khan, maybe not so much. That's a tenuous one, but you know we love Amir, so he de- we'll say he deserves it. Cal Brook has four names that will be on a ballot for the Hall of Fame. That's a fact. For, of those four names, yes, he's one in three. But what, what's Sean Porter on that? Uh, he's 0-3, right? So Porter hasn't won a single one of those. Crawford is... He, Crawford might go 3-0. and Spence might go 3-0. and Or, yeah, and then one of them will be 2-1. and So he's not that far off. In my opinion, Kell Brook is not that far off being talked about as one of the all-time great talents to come out of this country. A man whose plan A was so good, they just never bothered with a plan B. Much to his eternal regret, I imagine. But that Spence-Crawford-Spence-Brook fight is the one that lets you know that even when Errol Spence is overawed and everything's against him, he can claw his way back into a fight. He will dog it out with anyone, anytime, and he will go until there's nothing left. We should respect that. And and I see that as a different proposition to, to Terence Crawford. Crawford's a hard man, he's a nasty man, he's a spiteful man. Um, really long arms, deceptively long arms. Can whip his shots in as arm punches and they hurt. He can fully torque his hips all the way across to rip your head off um, and he will put you down don't know what it is we talk about this a lot don't we we talk about the notion of wiry strength right where someone just doesn't look like they should be able to do the damage that they do we all know people like that guys who are like like 10 11 stone and you've seen them just ice people and you're like what's this guy made of and they're the same sort of guys. If you've ever worked in a building site, you'll see some of those guys on site and they're carrying fire doors up like it's nothing. 
and you'll see some big rugby player looking guy struggling with that fire door. Crawford's one of those guys. Um, sometimes his strength is his weakness. Like He loves to figure people out. He loves to work out where his openings are. He loves to know, how am I going to take this guy out? But what he also loves to do is get stuck in. Um, we don't give him credit for being a combination puncher, but he's a pretty savage combination puncher. Every time he lets his hands go, you see there's a reaction from the opponent. Um, patient, like in the Sean Porter fight, was so, so patient. In the Kel, when he fought Kel Brook, and I know we can say Kel was not the same Kel that fought Errol Spence, and that's correct, but you can still see um, Kel's thinking, his positioning, his ability to still shoot the jab. That had Crawford thinking, and Crawford couldn't find ways to get around that. He, he, he really didn't like dealing with that jab to the point where he goes, right, I'm just going to go southpaw. That way, I can keep my hand over his hand. I can just always know where his jab is. And Kel, being the smart fighter that he is, just went to throwing lead rights. Lead rights, fall in, get stuck in. And then Crawford realized he needed to manage his distance. And it was like, right, we're going to keep this at distance I'm comfortable with. And just start slashing into him. Once he got him down with, that, with, with the jab and then the left, it was game over. And Crawford can do that to anybody. And so when I look at this fight, I'm almost like, how do you look at this? Um, we've seen Gamboa with his movement give Crawford fits. Um, how many others have given Crawford fits? Not that many. You know, same with Spence. Who's really given Spence trouble? Ugas gave him some trouble. Porter gave him some trouble. But he never felt that they weren't going to win the fight. So that's where... We that's where we are in this. Like I've been telling people for a long time, I think Crawford will win. I, I tend to back the guy with the more skill and the, the better intangibles. But then, as you saw with Fulton and Nui, I'm wrong. So what do I know? What I do know is when I look at these guys and I say the levels they fought at, comparable. I think at 147, Spencer's had a harder run. And I think quite rightly, this will be his last fight at 147. Because whether he wins or loses, he has nothing left to prove. You know, between the two of them, though, they cleaned out the division. They should ride off into the sunset, move up where Mel Charlo would have released some belts so they can easily go up there and go and win some belts at 154. But every time I, I think about this fight, I'll say this in closing, I think back to the way that Crawford stopped Sean Porter. And I say, do I think Spence could have done that? No. I don't think Spence is accurate enough with his shots. I don't think the hands come around quick enough. I think Crawford doing that, and I'm not going to link it to being told he was behind, just the fact that he went out there, did his job, found the opportunity and took it. I think that right now is the difference maker for me. It's that I feel if Crawford had to stop Spence to win, he could do it. I don't know if Spence could stop Crawford to win. But that's the beauty of it. Let's have a debate. Let's have a discussion. I could be right. I could be wrong. I have no idea. And that's why the sport's unique and that's why the sport's special. My, my money will be on Crawford to win. If Spence wins, I think it's good for boxing. This is one of the few times, I think, where fans just want to sit down and enjoy it. 
you know, there's no Brit involved, so there isn't the naked bias there normally is. We can just sit down and watch the Americans go at it and go, yeah, this is a good fight. So hopefully everyone stays up for it. Um, you know, get your supplies in tomorrow. Where, you know, I don't know if I should issue a a spirit of choice tomorrow or a cider of choice. I don't know what I don't know what I'm gonna do. And then let's just enjoy it as as fans of a great sport. I'm really, really looking forward to that. So may the best man win. And feel free to tweet me with who you think is gonna win and why. You know, let's let's focus on the positives and let's not be negative about anybody. So let's just run through what's been happening in the world of boxing. Um, just just a quick word on the build-up to Spence Crawford. It's getting quite heated, actually. Um, I think the intro will tell you the sort of tensions that are building. Because you've got two coaches, Bo Mack and Derek James. And these are guys who, you know, both have undisputed fighters in their camps and have guided them. Egos are intense. I love that. I love the fact that these trainers are out there because we're competitive as coaches, man. Please don't get it twisted. We're competitive. I'm not into all the fake humility. Like, if I go up against one of my friends in a contest, I want to win. We can shake hands afterwards, but we're competitive with each other. And we might remind each other of wins and losses. That That's just what the game is. So I like to see that. Um, I think some of the entourage were getting a bit ahead of themselves. And it's good to see Terence Crawford, you know, just reminding people that really this is about a fight. It doesn't need ignorance. Um, from what I understand, you know, he's from a pretty serious group of people in Omaha, Nebraska. I'm sure Errol Spence has access to serious people too. It doesn't need that sort of stupidity. This just needs to to happen. It needs to happen. We need to elevate the sport. And it was good to see Crawford, you know, adopt that that mature approach. But I love the fact that everybody is on their case. You've got Dimitri Bivol getting involved. Yeah, you got Rick Ross getting involved. You got everybody getting involved, and this is exactly what we, this is what we wanted, right? We, this is what we wanted in boxing. Can I just switch gears quickly and talk about Eubank Smith too, right? It's a pay per view card, September second. It's a pay per view card, and if you've bought tickets for this, just imagine you've paid money to watch Fraser Clark versus Dave Allen. You've paid money to watch Ben Whittaker against who knows. Right, another showcase fight. I'm not against that, by the way, because they've got to build Ben, and this is a good place to do it. This feels a bit more strategic. Florian Marker versus Dylan Moran. Eh, whatever. And Mark Heffron versus Jack Cullen. Uh, I get the Zach Chelly fight fell through, so. It's like, well, we've got to get Mark out, so who do you get him in with? Good work by Joe managing him. But you look at those four fights, and I'm asking you honestly, do you care? Do you care? Which one of those fights has meaning? Like, these aren't natural rivals. There isn't a single grudge here at all. Not one. You know, if we zero in on Fraser Clark versus Dave Allen, we can all agree it's a step up. Whatever condition Dave Allen is in, however many loads of fish and chips he's had in the last month, it doesn't matter. Dave never used to train anyway. But Dave knows his way around the ring. He's broadly okay with defense. And he knows where to hit someone. Like he's. Uh, he'd be offended if I said this. Dave is the definition of a heavyweight journeyman. 
He's the sort of guy you got to get through to be like, yeah, I'm British level. So Fraser should be doing this. I, I don't think he's doing the fans a favour by taking this fight. This is exactly where he should be. These are the guys he should be fighting. So it's nothing special for me. But we've had week after week, month after month of really mediocre sky cars. It couldn't have just snuck this on there and then said, right, come pay-per-view, we can step these guys up. That's the real shame of all of this. That it was a great opportunity to um, to put a flag down and say, we're Sky Sports Boxing. When we do pay-per-view, we give you value for money. This is not value for money. They're going to have to pull some serious, serious rabbits out the hat to make this worth watching. Because I will happily... I'll just jump on Twitter and go, who won? I don't need to watch it just so I can power tweet at quarter to 11 at night. I don't care that much. Do you know what I mean? I'm not one of the ones... I, I, there's no FOMO here. So if they don't deliver one or two high-quality fights that we care about, I'm not paying for it, not watching it. Right, let me just reel some stuff off. Um, they're announcing the card for Zhang versus Joyce, aren't they? And Anthony Yard's going to fight Ricky Summers. I thought Ben Whitaker should fight Ricky Summers. That tells you the level Ricky Summers is. Um, Yard is having the most unusual career you've ever seen. Like, if his career ended now, we talk about Kovalev stopped, Baturbiev stopped, Arthur lost one, won one, and then that's it. And then people say, well, what did he do in between those fights? We don't remember. We don't know. And that's not how it's meant to be for someone like Anthony Yard. It, it, I know I, I moan about the Joshua Project a lot, but this has also been a project of sorts that's kind of bubbled under the scene of how much money can we make for as little risk as possible, right? And I like Tunde. I know Tunde personally. I think Tunde's a good guy. I think he's a smart guy. But I wish they were just nakedly obvious and just said, look, this is our plan. We're not going to fight all these domestic rivals for what? We make much more money doing it this way. If that's the case, fair enough. Um, you know, you can't knock the hustle. But don't try and tell me that's a credible fight. That's a good fight. He could have had this Ricky Summers fight ages ago. You know what I mean? And we could have been moving towards something more meaningful. And that's what I'm tired of. I'm tired of, I'm tired of people having to convince me that a fight is good. Justify. This is why this is happening. Good fights need no justification. Fraser Clark versus Dave Allen, I can look and go, yeah, it makes sense. Um, when I saw Zach Chelly against the Ginger Kid, it kind of made sense. Um, when I see Joshua versus Dillian White, it kind of makes sense, right? All that stuff I can kind of contextualize. When I see Anthony Yard, who's fought for a world title twice, fighting Ricky Summers, who will never fight for a world title, it's deflating. You know, and then there's that car that's happening in Telford between people we don't even know. Like all these people like Liam Davis and Jason Cunning, we don't know these guys, man. We don't know them. I'm sure they're respected and loved in their communities and their families and more power to them, but we don't know who they are for anyone to be telling us we need to tune in. No, we don't. <laughs> no, we don't. Because at no point have you told me that these people are important. When you put someone on a show in Telford, you're telling me they're not important. Because it's Telford. Yeah. <laughs> it's fucking Telford. 
I mean, what are you going to do? Bump into the, the Niven family in Telford, whoever they are. No, you're not, right? So, yeah, um, Queensbury aren't having their finest moment, are they? Like, the Dubois-Usik thing, give it to them, but I think that's probably been carried by others, as is Fury and Garnu. I just think the rest of it right now isn't where it needs to be. And maybe it's time to accelerate some of these guys like Dennis McCann, Sam Noakes, etc., etc., who I think have the potential to be really good talents. You know, they've got to start getting some return on them because there's nothing. Where's Denzel versus Hamza Shiraz? Like, they're just, they're dragging out fights that don't matter. Denzel versus Hamza Shiraz could have been on the undercard of this. That would have had meaning. All we want when we see a list of fights happening is just meaning. There's no meaning between Anthony Yard and Ricky Summers. It doesn't mean anything. No cares. And it's sad that in a week where we're getting the fights that we want and it's making sense, come September, we're just going to have those clown shows, aren't we? And, well, if Queensby want to die on that hill, if TNT want to start off their tenure like that, that's the prerogative, I guess. And then... Uh, I see Eddie Hearn's done the Piers Morgan interview for what, you know, but I guess I had to go and clean up the mess that Connor did. So they're 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 prepping for whatever comes next, right? Uh, if it's if it's a guilty verdict, there'll be an appeal. If he's given some kind of backdated ban, they'll say hallelujah. But I can't see how you're going to give someone a how do you give someone a backdated ban when you have clear guidelines? If you found him guilty, even if you mitigate, he's still going to have to do a couple of years at least. You know, Rosanna Cox did, what What did she do? She did two years for, for Lasix, right? Um, and now she's boxing in Denmark. <laughs> Whoop-dee-doo. Imagine that. Like, what fall from grace? But hey, look, let her rebuild her career. Let her do her thing. Um, you know, whatever happens in the past, happens in the past. But she's an example. She got two years for Lasix. And they banned her for two years, even though she couldn't get a license here. Under any circumstance, they still said, now you're banned. So, how are you going to say to Conor Ben, oh, oh, you had eggs in Ibiza. Uh, you haven't even shown us the carton the eggs were in. We can't verify all of this. You still got to ban him. If, so, here's what I'll say. If Conor Ben is allowed to box in the next three months, I can't tell a boxer to box clean anymore. Just take the stuff. If Conor Ben is allowed to box in three months' time, everybody take whatever you can. Because UCAD will never have enough testers to catch everybody. Take what the hell you want. If you're a small hall guy, put five needles in your ass cheeks. Whatever it is you have to do if Conor Ben is free. Because let's level the playing field. Let's make it so that he, he has no advantage. Yeah? Let's make it fun and interesting that way. And then let's see. Because you know that if everyone else jumps on the juice, they'll bring back Vada testing. They'll go, oh, no, no, it's not fair now. Oh, no, 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 no. Only Connor can be on drugs. Not all of you. The rest of you can't be on drugs. Only Connor Ben can be on drugs. Did I read Joe Joyce saying that Francis Ngannou is the hardest puncher he's been in with? Did I read that? Or am I dreaming? <laughs> Francis Ngannou is the hardest puncher Joe Joyce has been in with. Francis Ngannou hasn't fought for one world title. Why wouldn't he? He'd make a lot more money. If he could punch that hard, he'd make a lot more money because he'd be knocking over guys like Lucas Brown. Yeah? He could have turned over, fought someone like Lucas Brown, do him in three rounds, 
because we know he's got stamina for five five-minute rounds, so why not fight Lucas Brown? I think the truth is we know what would happen. His chin will get exposed, but Fury will carry him, and this is the annoying thing. Fury will carry him for as long as he needs to. As long as Nganu behaves himself, Fury will carry him. If he starts to misbehave, Fury will drop him with a body shot. Guaranteed. And then that will be that. But that's the fastest a circus show. Is there anything Eddie Hearn's right about? You know, Fury should be fighting Usyk, and he's chosen not to. But I think I've said it before. I think there are contractual reasons. There are business reasons why this has been delayed. Um... I would argue this is probably a power move by John Fury to get full control of his son's careers. But we'll see how it plays out. But at this point, I'm absolutely knackered. So I'm going to tap out. Like I said, we've got Spence Crawford, a fight we wanted, a fight we thought was taking ages to sort out. But they told us they'd get it done, and they did get it done. Um, you know, this is looking like a good summer for boxing. As I keep saying, let's stay positive and let's enjoy stuff. Because we're going to have to swallow some of the bullshit further down the line. Don't worry about that, my friend. And on that note, I will tap out. I just want to say, um, there's a young kid, Leo Atang, boxing in the Europeans, I think. Um, he's definitely got a bronze medal. But if he can get a gold medal, that might be our new golden boy. That might be the new kid to cross over. Um, super talented. Lovely, lovely kid. Um, I've told all the promoters, like, keep your eye on this kid. Man. This is, get your checkbooks ready. If, if they don't put him through for Paris 2024 and he turns over, um, that might be the guy. That might be one of those guys who just breezes past the Talma, Whitaker, etc. Because he, if he holds up in the pros, he's got everything. He looks the part. He, he boxes the part. He talks the part. And looks like he's in good company in that GB squad as well. So wish him all the best. Um, and good luck to the rest of the, the English lot who are boxing out there as well and you know guys bring home those medals and you know let's start getting Paris 2024 rolling now and on that note let me tap out and say if I don't speak to you before have a great weekend guys mm -hmm.